Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investments and helping you stay ahead. Aneta Winimko joins host Brian Borzikowski on the show today to discuss the latest consumer spending patterns and share where she is finding opportunities around the globe. Aneta manages the Fidelity Global Consumers Industry Fund, which focuses on companies engaged in various sectors of the consumer industry, such as retail, luxury goods, cosmetics, apparel, electronics, and many more. Aneta shares that her focus is on identifying companies with powerful brands, pricing power, and the ability to adapt to changing conditions. She seeks out high-quality management teams with innovative ideas that have a proven track record of execution, leading to sustainable growth over time. Aneta and Brian talk through a variety of topics, including the impact of interest rates on consumer behavior, the interplay between brand loyalty and quality, and a concept Aneta calls money illusion, where consumers don't realize the impact of inflation on their spending power. The interview also touches on the effects of the reopening of economies, particularly China, and how shifts in employment and disposable income impact consumer behavior and luxury brand demand. Aneta discusses the resilience of e-commerce as economies recover from the pandemic, pointing out that many companies have adapted and embraced the online retail trend. She also gives us her outlook on various sectors and shares insights on the current state of consumer earnings. This podcast was recorded on August 11th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So let's just start off. Give give us just so we have the right context. Tell us a bit about yourself because uh, you, you have an interesting fund that you have. Um, what are the kind of kinds of companies you cover, and then we'll we'll go from there. Well, I've been with Fidelity first as an analyst and and then as a fund manager for more than a, than two decades now. The job uh, of looking for high quality, good franchises uh, has has really been a journey where I have kind of learned through finding and talking to different companies, how to see the jewels that then become bigger jewels and then continue to pay off over time. Still here at Fidelity and still enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) And and the companies that you look at, they're, yeah, in retail, luxury goods. Maybe just explain a bit about kind of what kinds of companies are, are these? Well, what I look for is is brands. I look for, for companies with pricing power and I look for companies which um, define their own destiny, if you will. Uh, so I like to find really a high quality management with good ideas and execution that has been proven through time and where our research, our channel checks point to the fact that they will continue to do well in the future. Uh, so when you look at the fund, you have a collection of companies with powerful brands and brands that have been tested, whether it's COVID or war or inflation, uh, they they are very flexible and agile and they continue to do quite well. 
big question, of course, on everyone's minds is consumer spending, the rate environment. Uh, since the last time we spoke, rates have gone up even more. In the UK, there was just an announcement, uh, I guess, last week that rates have risen again to 5.25%. We're at 5% here in the States, around 55 and, and so um, what are you seeing from the increase in rates? Is that putting pressure on consumers? Well, it, has, it is definitely putting pressure on consumers, much more so in economies like the UK or Canada, where uh, the mortgage markets are much, much shorter in duration. The US consumer has seen the impact through car loans or credit card loans, not so much for the mortgage market. And that's, that's why when we look at the housing markets and compare, for example, the housing markets uh, of the UK with the housing market in the US, in the UK, we are seeing house prices declining, house builders stopping to build new houses. The, the cycle is actually quite painful, while in the US, this is not happening because those who have taken 30-year mortgages, they are just not budging and the interest rates move don't make much difference to, 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 to their finances. Uh, so it really depends on, on how each of the markets functions. And so how would that translate down into the kind of the companies you cover? Are you finding that, you know, are people still going to stores? Are they still uh, buying goods from the companies that you're looking at? They are, they are, they are, because the disposable incomes have increased. They have increased partially for the subsidies from the government. They have increased because... The job market has been very healthy and uh, many people actually have two jobs and, and, and their disposable income has been quite strong. So as long as the economy continues to, to keep going, I think people's uh, financial situation is actually quite healthy. You mentioned, you know, the money illusion, not not just now, but when you and I had spoke before. What, what, what is that? Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what does that mean for, for what you're doing? Well, the average consumer thinks in nominal terms. So when you get a 10% wage increase, it feels good. And obviously, it, it's only after a while when people realize that their spending power has not kept up with the prices. Uh, so I think the feel-good factor of wages going up, we have seen that last year, and maybe it has petered out a bit. Now we are seeing the inflation coming off, and obviously the wage pressure will be coming off. But I think it's pretty catching up with people that there has been some impact from inflation on their disposable income. But again, coming back to the fact that that, that there are plenty of jobs uh, and those who want to make more money, they can easily find opportunities. Uh, so it's, it, it really is an environment where the consumer is still in a relatively comfortable situation. Just on inflation, I mean, we just saw U.S. numbers came out. Inflation numbers were a little bit higher, not much from last, but a little bit. And, you know, the first time they've gone up in, in several months. And is that uh, concerning to you or what, what do you make of sort of the inflation picture? Do you think things are, are getting better? The inflation, obviously, the base effect and the impact of, of energy prices is coming, coming through. And this is why the, the numbers are much lower than what we have seen last year. But I think what is uh, concerning is is the level of inflation still in services, which is pointing to the fact that labor is still an issue for many players, but much less so than than it was the case only only a few months ago. So the pressures are definitely easing. Uh, the economy has slowed down from the overheated to kind of 
quite a healthy under, un, underlying growth. And I think the easing will continue. But obviously, we are facing big picture changes in the labor market. The aging of the workforce is obviously impacting the supply of labor. But on the other hand, we have automation, we have AI, we have a lot of things that are pushing the other way. So I think the picture is not clear and probably it will not be clear for a long time. We'll have this inflationary and disinflationary pressures pushing against each other. But it doesn't necessarily create a negative environment because some companies will benefit. They have pricing power. Some other companies will benefit because the niche into which they are selling, they see strong demand. Obesity, huge market and unfortunately growing. And there are companies that are massively benefiting uh, from that trend. So the job of a fund manager is to find those, niche, those niches and, and, and try to find investment opportunities. I wonder just about sentiment. I mean, all of these things that are happening certainly weighing on consumers just it has to uh you know are we how much are we spending food is increasing how do we pay our bills all that kind of stuff whether whether they're actually able to manage it or not i think it's it's weighing on people does that show up in in the spending you know consumer spending in the companies that you're looking at well, you know are people buying less less goods um in 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 the businesses that you're covering even just because of kind of no one's kind of sure what's going to happen next yeah, but I think it, we have been there for the last maybe five years. No one knows what's coming next. And I think that really has created a bit of carpe diem attitude to life. Uh, we don't know what's coming. So how about we just enjoy today? And we haven't even mentioned that, but the issues with climate change and global warming are really quite serious and they create another layer of uncertainty. So I think all those things are impacting the way people decide how to spend their money. And that's why, for example, the demand for travel and experiences continues to be strong. I think a lot of, a lot of investors thought that this year we are going to see a slowdown. Well, maybe the growth is not as strong as it has been recently, but the average daily rates for hotels, they are 30% above the level that they were in 2019. And they are not coming down at all because the demand is still there. People might be deciding to spend less on products and items that they have plenty of, whether this, I don't know, Nike shoes or maybe some other things. But I think the, 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 the need to kind of enjoy life is something that, that everyone has fully realized that they need to benefit from what they have. That's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I can I can feel that in my own life too. So that's uh, that's a good point. And one of the big things, obviously, affecting you know the, your sector, China's reopening. Now it has been a bit weaker than people had thought. So what is your take, I guess, on maybe why that is, and 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 what does that mean for the the sectors and subsectors that you're looking at? Well, the Chinese the Chinese consumers were not were not given anything during COVID. They actually have been under a lot of pressure in terms of the tough policy that has been implemented all over China. And there was very little in term in terms of subsidies. People got some little handouts in terms of toothpaste and some other daily necessities, but not the subsidies that the US consumer has seen. So as a result, coming out of COVID, the U.S. consumer is coming much worse off because people have lost jobs, they have lost earnings. So even though the economy has opened up, they didn't have the excess income to go and spend. 
And on top of that, the Chinese economy is actually quite weak. We are seeing that in the imports numbers. China is seeing deflation. We are seeing the property market has been going through quite a big downturn for quite a while now. So there's a lot on the mind of Chinese consumers, and that's why they've been very cautious. They are going out and enjoying travel more locally than outside of China. And, and it's all happening in a much more kind of price conscious way. So only when the, the job market in China improves, around 30% of young people don't have work. And that is not a time where they will go and spend money. So, so, so we are seeing a kind of economy going for a very different opening or economy that has gone for a very different opening to what we have seen in the West. There, there was, um, you know, this always this case to be made that ch- the Chinese consumer, you know, really is gravitating towards U.S. and U.K. and luxury brands. And, and that was a, a huge market for, for a lot of these companies. Is that still the case? Are we still going is, you know, is that still kind of the, the long term case for China that that these brands are going to benefit? I guess, have they? And, and, and does this or talking about change any of that thesis? Yeah. So there are two aspects of consumers kind of deciding what they do. There's, there's the desire, and then there's the affordability and ability to buy things. Um, in my opinion, the desire to buy luxury, high-end European brands, Western brands, is very high. Uh, it almost has become a cultural um, phenomenon where you show success by showing off with good taste and products made in Italy and in in France. Um, And I don't think that will change. Uh, But what has happened, again, big market for for luxury goods in China, where where the young consumers, Generation Z, where they have been working very often in tech companies and spending the disposable income on luxury goods because they still live with parents. They probably get some money from them or from grandparents. Uh, But now they don't have jobs. Uh, so obviously that, 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 that changes the dynamics. Um, but again, as soon as the job market starts, uh, picking up, I think the demand for luxury goods from the aspirational consumer will come back. What we have seen come back really strongly is the demand from the very wealthy consumers. And there has been a lot of wealth creation in China. Uh, China in terms of number of millionaires or billionaires can't kind of compete with the US. Uh, and, and those consumers came back and they are spending. But what we are not seeing is this new aspirational consumer coming, uh, coming and, and, and spending because they just can't afford. So let's talk about maybe some of the trends, other trends you're seeing in the space. You know, post-COVID, a lot of people are coming back to the office. Has that affected the, what people are buying? What are you sort of seeing uh, there versus maybe what, we, what kind of consumer habits we saw during COVID? Well, people are smartening up when they go out, <laughs> which I think is a good thing. So we are seeing, obviously, there was a massive trend of, of people buying uh, leisure wear with a comfortable pants um, or shoes. And as one could expect, we are seeing return to more formal wear in case for men, this is just, it, it's different. No one is buying the kind of old fashioned uh, suits, but it's much more casual and much more modern. Uh, but brands in the luxury space like Xenia or Cuccinelli uh, are definitely seeing strong demand for their products. We are seeing in, in the beauty categories, we, ha- we have seen a very strong demand for skincare during COVID um, products like masks and all sorts of self-care products have been very strong. Now coming out, 
makeup has returned and the different trends in makeup and the consumer is, is, is kind of replenishing and buying, buying makeup. In spirits, what we've seen, people have learned to make cocktails and they have become connoisseurs in terms of the quality of, of, of alcohol that they consume. And now when they go out, they go to the bar and they expect the same high quality. So, so that kind of has, has remained quite sticky. So we've seen changes that have impacted how consumers behave, but then we, we see the adjustment to the new environment also play out. Any other trends that you've noticed, you know, in terms of where people are looking or any other kind of big trends to, to mention? I think the big trend is, is really the experiences. People, people want to experience things. I think, I think we are living in a world where um, maybe in, in terms of buying goods, it's less is more. And, and, and when people buy things, they think, how long am I going to use that thing? Does it have resale value? And, and can I get rid of it when I, when I don't want it anymore? So I think there's an element of this premiumization by buying better quality lasting products. Um, and, and maybe by buying less in volume, people are spending more money on, on experiences, whether it's going to see the Barbie movie or, or, or flying on holiday to Mexico. Uh, there are, many ways of, of, of finding some experiences. What about I mean, e-commerce obviously became huge during COVID and, and kind of felt like it maybe came into its own. Are you still seeing a strong e-commerce sales from the companies that you cover? You know, how has that maybe evolved post-COVID? Yeah, e-commerce has been on a strong trajectory to gain share from physical retail. We saw a huge boost through COVID. Then an adjustment, which has happened last year, and now uh, we see growth again. It's, it's a structural trend. It makes much more sense, especially for things which are kind of daily necessities where spending half a day to go to a shop to buy something that someone can uh, bring to our doorstep. It just makes sense. And, and that's why uh, the likes of Amazons, they had a tough year, but now the comps are easier. The capacity utilization is getting, getting better. And they also have learned that they need to think about costs and they, they have to think about return on investment. So we are, see, we are seeing those companies actually, the performance of the stocks of the companies picking up as well. I mentioned before, and maybe we can talk about digging into this a bit, is the, the brands, the word brands, you look for brands. You know, what's the difference between sort of brands versus just a company or I've got a store, a retail outlet? What do you mean by brands? <laughs> well, I think we are living in a world of branding, whether it's products or services or personal branding. Everyone is a brand these days. But the way I measure brand, whether, whether a company has a brand, I look at the cross margin, I look at what, it ha what happened to it over time, I look at the ability to grow. I like companies which have been able to grow the cycle by growing volume, having a little bit of pricing. And another thing which I also analyze when I look at, at the, the health of the brand, I look at the investment rate. I look at how much companies are spending on marketing, R&D, and also CapEx. So when I find companies with high gross margin and high returns, and they keep investing in themselves in a way that is also uh, confirmed by our research and surveys, that it, it's gaining traction with the consumer. This is the kind of companies that, that, that I like because very often the longevity 
of those businesses is 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 great and they 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 are, they are good investment so even though consumers i mean we're living in an age where consumers uh i think are less loyal to brands or at least that's the idea you can tell me if i'm wrong here but you know they'll, they'll switch if they see something better if there's you know a company that might be more focused on esg or something like that do you notice i mean is brand loyalty still there is it harder to maintain those those customers or when you know you like something you stick with it I think there is a lot of noise and we are all really busy. Uh, I think it applies probably even more. I don't want to be sexist, but it probably applies more to men than, than women. When they find a brand that they like, they usually stick to it. And I can see it with my husband while I keep shopping and trying and looking for, for new things. But more seriously, um, brands, consumers are not loyal to brands. They are loyal to quality. They are loyal to the experience that they get. They are loyal, uh, to, um, to what those brands stand for. But obviously today, whether the company has, uh, proper sourcing in place, whether the company treats employees in the right way, um, all, all those things, um, get publicized really quickly, especially if something goes wrong. Um, and, and I think the brand loyalty is, is really a function of all the, those kind of ducks li lined up. Uh, and, and I don't think anyone is naive and will buy a brand just because someone tells, oh, well, people check the brands they hear about out. But I think what they are loyal is, is, is kind of good quality of, of, of experience of, of having dealt with that brand in the past. Yeah. Got a couple of questions that came in. One on just, Companies, I'll, I'll ask you from advisors, have you noticed companies slanting more toward growth or dividends in the companies you cover? When you have 80% gross margin and you invest in marketing and other things, you always, most of the companies I, I, I own actually end up with cash. They generate cash even after paying dividends. So they, they have very often net cash on the balance sheet. They very often look for bolt-on acquisitions to keep building the portfolios that they have. And when they don't have any better ideas, they do buybacks or they pay dividends. So it, it really is a balancing act between being able to invest in growth and keep driving this growth and paying the cash back to investors. And, you know, if, if you want to have a healthy growth, you, you have to manage it as well. When something is growing at very high rates, it's dangerous because maybe it's it's happening too fast. Maybe the quality of that growth is 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 going to create create an issue down the road. So you know, smart companies they are trying to balance both delivering this. One of the companies I have, Cucinelli, calls that the beautiful growth uh, because because that's that's what he wants. That's what he wants to deliver: not too fast, not too slow, and and then generate cash and and share that cash with investors. Another question, how do you think consumer confidence is gauged in inflationary environments? Yeah, so that's that's kind of going back to the point we made about money illusion. You feel good when salary goes up by 10 or 15%, but then if the cost of living moving faster, it's just it takes time to realize that this is this is what's happening. And I think I think when there's inflation in the system, um Obviously, when we get to inflation levels that Turkey is experiencing, that then it's it's it is a complete bonanza. But when you when you have we've moved from very low inflation to inflation which 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 was noticeable, um, that created a lot of activity. People are thinking, should they buy it now? Maybe it will become more expensive. 
it, it kind of makes the consumer move a bit faster and think about about how they spend their money a bit more. Uh, so, so I think it kind of creates a bit of dynamism. Uh, but I think we all would benefit if the inflation was running at low single digits as opposed to, 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 to almost double digits. And I think this is where we are today. And hopefully this is where we stay. <laughs> Just on uh, earnings. We haven't talked about earnings. Uh, you know, it's earnings season now in, in, in different sectors. What have you noticed from companies that have been reporting in, in your sector and in, in your fund? How are earnings coming in? They are coming. I mean, the whole market is, 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 is coming kind of along pretty well with expectations. There are not that many misses on the earnings, but it's all about the outlook. So investors are paying really a lot of attention because we are, well, we have been there for more than a year now. We are kind of, everyone is expecting the recession and signs of recession. So everyone is examining the, the conference calls for what are the outlook statements. And, and companies, many companies do sound cautious, but obviously they are influenced by the same question marks that, that everyone else is. So everyone prefers to stay cautious. And I think maybe this cautious environment results in earnings actually coming through quite nicely. So again, third quarter, no one is expecting acceleration. People are talking about the U.S. consumer Spending, but being more cautious, the high-end aspirational consumer has been cutting on spending. So the demand that was funded by the U.S. government has basically disappeared. Lots of moving parts, but I think the underlying demand is actually quite quite stable. Based on what you're seeing, when you know, as a fund manager, when you're looking into the fall, but even further into 2024, and do you do anything differently? You know, are you looking at different kinds of companies that can weather? different storms? How do you sort of adjust when, with all this uncertainty going into next year, if, if, if you do? I, I try to look for companies where I see exciting product pipeline, where I see strong brands and maybe there was some mismanagement and there's new management that I think can make a huge difference. Um, so, you know, you always have opportunities. The fund has uh, around um, 65 companies. There are different ways uh, to find exposure to different niches, whether it's cosmetics or whether it's um, or whether it's uh, spirits uh, or sportswear or luxury goods or EVs, there are many segments of the market where there are structural drivers or there are company-specific drivers that should drive the performance of the companies. So the fund is not really a play just on how the U.S. consumer does. The fund is much more a play how the companies and the management uh, can maneuver through the environment in which in which in, in which we're going to face. Just on the fund itself, there are you know there are um, consumer discretionary funds. There's other retail funds. What what maybe makes your fund different? Why should people consider what you're doing? I think what's different is this um, approach uh, that I've taken and, and the, the fund I have in Canada, it's actually a small fund, but I have a much bigger fund, uh, which is based in Luxembourg. Um, and this fund actually changed its name and it's called Sustainable Consumer Brands, which, uh, which maybe better reflects the dynamics of the companies that are in the fund. It's all about being able to deliver the sustainable, good quality growth thanks to brands and the pricing power and innovation and excitement that the management and the, the team running the business can deliver. 
so it, it really is a play on that. It's 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 a play on human ingenuity and obviously uh, to, to 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 part with money. Uh, companies need to be quite creative and convincing, uh, and especially if you want to do it uh, in a way where the consumers come back and are loyal and mm-hmm. keep spending. Great. We just have, a, you know, like about 30 seconds left. Any last any last comments to leave us with on a Friday? Um, I always love having this call on a Friday. It's a it's a, you know, about uh, the things that I think uh, we all we all kind of can can really identify with luxury travel, um, just their experiences. So so any la- any last comments to make for the people listening in about about this space and where things could go? I think the space, I think what has made this space in particular much more exciting there are two things. The social media, uh, which basically allows brands and good ideas to travel really, really fast. And it happens through the grassroots. So when anyone who has a really good idea uh, can come up with a product that sells really well. And at the beginning of that process, we've, we saw lots of little brands uh, benefit from it. But now we are at a stage where the big companies have figured out how to do it. So they are able to launch new products and they know how to work with social media and they are able to make them big and profitable really quite quickly. So the return on invested capital in the space of branded goods has been improving and I will, I think it will continue to improve because the barriers to entry, the knowledge and execution are just getting better. And technology and AI is going to only enhance that. Great. Oh, we'll save that. That's a good topic. We'll save that for the next the next call. But thank you so much for joining us today and have a good weekend. Thank you. The same. Have a good weekend. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. On fidelity.ca, you can also find more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.